Okay, introducing our newest sponsor, Swim Tracks. Swim Tracks is the smartest swim specific tracker ever. It registers a ton of swim data that is translated into valuable real time insights. It tracks the three most important data points for coaches and swimmers time, heart rate, and stroke rate. You and your swimmers can now, from just one device, make sure you're training in the correct energy zones with the correct number of strokes. Visit swimtracks.com and schedule your free demo today. That's swimtracks, T R A X X.com, swimtracks.com. All right, we're on. Jason Andrew, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? good thanks for having me yes thank you thank you now for those that don't know you i i know you as a photographer and swimmer what do you what do you identify as are you a are you a, a swimmer that can take great photos or are you a, a photographer that can swim a little um i'm a piss poor swimmer that can go for a very long time that's a <laughs> well you're a phenomenal photographer one of the world's leading photographers so um one of the world's best let's say i don't know about leading leading's tough in photography but one of the one of the best so um yeah man uh, well t- tell us about your the the swimming side of your life and you, you do open water and i know you do some crazy stuff in the open water what, what's that uh, all about yeah i don't know it was it honestly it was a pandemic thing um i Ooh. got back into swimming at a real at a late age i only swam in high school and um mm-hmm. pandemic hit and we were literally chasing pools as they closed yeah. and um finally when the last pool closed we needed somewhere to swim so i started swimming outside so so swimming was for fitness then and then open water was more of just like it happened that way open water was the closest thing i could get to surfing which has been my whole life until i moved to dc oh really yeah so it was it was the closest that i got to like feeling back in the water um so yeah it's just i don't know i love it out there i feel more comfortable out there than i do in a pool or anywhere else now it 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 became kind of semi-serious though recently where you where you took on a long swim and um you know talk to us about that um, so I started swimming, I started photographing swimmers, uh, back in July last year, I was having nerve issues and I thought, well, I'll start photographing them. And they were all talking about the English channel and ice miles and Catalina and, um, you know, uh, got back in the water and started feeling good and being who I am. They all said they were going to do Catalina in July. And I said, well, damn, I guess I'll do it too. Oh, and it was kind of just, it was on a whim. Um, I knew that I didn't have the credentials and I knew that I didn't have at the time what it took, I guess. Um, but I figured I would give it a shot. And so, um, a friend was running a 10, a a 100, 100s, um, fundraiser for USA Swimming Foundation. Mm -hmm. So I did it on a Friday, called me up Saturday morning. He said, come do it again. Did it again Saturday morning. Um, called me Sunday morning and I was about to do it. And my friend Anna's like, you do it, you're going to hurt yourself. And I kind of <laughs> canceled it, but that was, I don't know. It was easy for me. Um, intervals weren't super fast. They were on one thirties on Friday and they were one thirty fives on Saturdays. And, wow. um, yeah, that was kind of the point. Told my wife I was going to swim Catalina and she looked at me like I was crazy. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I would too. <laughs> for um, those that don't know what Catalina is, talk to us about that. So Catalina is between, depending on which, 
how far you go is between 20 and 22 miles. It's from Catalina Island back to the mainland. It usually starts about midnight. You swim through the night. So you can avoid both the boat traffic and the high winds that come up during the day. Where do you start from? Uh, I want to say it was Doctor's Cove on Catalina. So we started in Long Beach um, on the boat, and then we do a two-and-a-half-hour boat ride out. Wow. Jump off the boat. When ready, swim to shore. Um, once we're on shore, it's uh, traditional that you put a rock somewhere in your suit. So I found the smallest paddle I could and stuffed it in my suit. Um, yeah, and raise your hands. And once your hands go down and the buzzer goes, it's rock and roll time. Wow, that's, that's madness. How many people do you do this with? Uh, myself. You just did it alone? Yeah, yeah, So I had a crew of oh, eight. So I had kayakers on my, I had a kayaker on my right that switched out every three hours and the rest of the crew on the boat, but everybody but one was seasick on the boat. So it made things a little interesting. Dude, there's sharks out there. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're, if you're the documentarian and you're in the water, who's documenting you then? Absolutely nobody. I have the most <laughs> piss poor photos you've ever seen of me oh, swimming, wow. but my friend Kent had swum it um 36 hours before and i had to actually crew for him which i wasn't expecting to but he's got some killer photos so yeah. i'm happy for him in that regards yeah this this seems to be a, a fairly popular thing amongst kind of you know uh aging swimmers i'd say is like this open water phenomenon of like doing things like this i'm hearing more and more about this is yeah. this is this something that's a passion for you or is it more of a release for you or is it just something that keeps you fit and healthy I would say it's a little bit of both. Um, the swim is a little personal. I mean, um, I lost my dad to COVID and lost my cousin to cancer in the, within like a month of each other. And, you know, was covering January 6th and covering all the BLM protests and just felt like with COVID and everything going on, like trying to push myself beyond my comfort zone and beyond what I thought I was capable of doing was kind of like my own mm -hmm. therapy and dealing with all that. Right, yeah, I think I think we all get to that point in our lives too, where we want to we want to test ourselves in that respect, don't we? I think we did as kids, and you know, and I think it's good yeah. to keep doing it. And yeah, I don't know. I got out of the water. I felt great. <laughs> I joked, "Let's go back." Um, so I don't know. I you know, ideally, if I can convince the family, I'd like to go for a double in a couple of years. Wow. See how it goes, but yeah, the whole swim is just it was fun. It wasn't as fast as I wanted it to be. Um, we had terrible weather for the first, I'd say, six hours, seven hours. Just a lot of swell and just tons of issues. Mm. Uh, but, you know, they were growing pains. None of us knew what we were doing. That's the beauty of it. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Well, let's go back to the photography. Like I said, you're one of the world's uh, best photographers. Uh, you, you work for some incredible uh, people. Uh, it, it's more on the freelance side now, but, like, in terms of, photography where did that start for you because you know i understand I'm glad I, got, I got kids just like you got kids and the hope is that your kids grow up to find a passion right and and i grew up and, and swimming was it for me that's where i that's kind of i fell into a pool and that was that was where i felt most at home how did you get into photography um i'd say it's always been a passion it was a passion of mine in high school um i went to school for a bit and i mean i went to junior college where i started and was doing journalism, but was more interested in surfing and snowboarding. And um, 
you know, dropped out of school, went back a couple of years later and just wanted to get a degree and um, thought I was going to be teaching um, like my mom. And so I started teaching right out of college. And I would say putting my toes in surf photography. Mm. Um, I never really loved it. Um, I always was more interested in surfing and, you know, I just, I never saw longevity in it. And I was just really, you know, I was a history major in college and I was just really interested in storytelling. And so, um, I was 29 years old and I had a girlfriend at the time who was moving to New York and she left and I was kind of like, damn, I need to do something with myself. So at 30, I picked up and I moved to New York and just said, I'm going to give it a go. Um, and it's been going ever since and it's been good. You know, I never wanted, I never wanted to work for somebody. I like the diversity of my clients. Um, I like to pick the days that I work and I don't work. I like the ability of, you know, there were some days I was putting four or five hours in the pool. I couldn't do that with a full-time job. So, especially for tra- training with Catalina. So, um, yeah. How does it work in photography then? Like as, as an athlete, right, you get represented and, and those representatives go out and try and find you sponsorship to, you know, so you can earn and, and make a living like in photography when you're kind of freelance like that who's representing you to find that work me really yeah i mean i had i had agents early on when i first started and i can say they were more detrimental to myself and my career mm-hmm. um, than anything else because at the time i didn't have a name and i was battling people with big names who were you know and so when they would pitch us to clients i was the bottom of the totem pole and i'd mm. say mentally it did more damage to me than anything else and so now it's just me it's myself it's my work it's my reputation and it's just grinding um i have some colleagues that i would say probably spend 80 percent of their time marketing themselves and 20 wow. percent working and wow. i'd say with that's pretty common across the board really yeah so when, when you say marketing themselves what exactly are they doing in that respect um Email promos, printed promos, meeting with editors, meeting with art directors, Mm. um, social media. I mean, you name it, phone calls, dinners and lunches constantly. Really? Yeah. And, and does it get easier as you get that name? Like you said, like initially you're fighting at the bottom of the barrel, but once you get the name, do do you have to go? No, because you're always looking for the new next hot thing. Really? Yeah. So like, I would say, no, it doesn't get easier. I don't think it ever gets easier. I think it always is difficult because you're only as good as the best picture, the last picture you took. So, you know, if you have a few assignments that are just crap, that's what people are going to remember you from. Wow. And so you're just, it's a constant grind. I mean, I'm fortunate that I have commercial corporate clients that I love working for that, I'd say enjoy, I think, (laughs) enjoy working with me. And so mixing that with all the editorial and the personal work I do, it's, it's a real nice medium, but no, I don't think it ever gets easier. I think it's easier for a client to hire me if I pitch them a story because they know what I'm capable of doing, but it never gets easier with keeping the work going. So there's always new people coming in. How do you differentiate between everybody else i mean do you have i guess you have a style of some sort like how do you how do you develop your own personal style so that when people when when you when they say your name they know what they're going to get you know what i mean 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I mean, my style changed. I was in New York for 10 years. My work was personal, long-term, self-funded um, projects that would get picked up and published, and then a lot of portraiture. Um, and then my wife took a job here in Washington, D.C., and we moved here, and I felt like I had to do, we had a, our first kid, and, you know, we had, I, we had to do a 180. And so I started doing a little bit more news work, um, more portraiture, which I always loved, but the self-funded long-term stuff is kind of, it was shell for a while. Um, I was working on fellowships for two years and I don't know, you're just kind of, you're constantly growing. You're, and, and that's, I guess that's the hope. That's the goal as a, you know, as a visual thinker is that you're constantly, you and the work that you're producing is growing and getting better and you're not getting stale. How do you know that? Like in swimming, uh, in coaching, it was tough for me. Like when you know, I took over a head coaching position pretty early, you know, in, in my early thirties. And then all of a sudden I felt very isolated. It felt like I was competing against all these other coaches. Right. And so in terms of personal growth, it was difficult because now I'm a head coach. I, I didn't really feel like I had anyone to turn to in terms of people I could, I could go to and say, Hey, make, make me better. Right. Like I just felt like everyone was against me. Wouldn't you feel the same way in photography where everybody's fighting for the same jobs who do you turn to when you when you're looking for personal growth um colleagues yeah. i mean I, I i've always i've always held the idea that if someone is getting hired instead of if i'm losing a job out to someone else then they're probably better for that job so um you know the biggest competitor for me is myself um i know what i'm capable of i don't compete with my friends i don't compete with my colleagues um yeah for all photographing the same event I will definitely bust my ass to make sure that like I'm getting better images and I'm getting more play with my publication than they will. Um, yeah. I think that's like internal animal instinct, but at the end of the day, like I don't compete with anybody. It's honestly just with myself. Well, for the, for those that don't know you were, I mean, you, you've done many things, but just recently you're on the cover of the New York times, something that was, you know, pretty, pretty cool. I miss for a photographer. It must be nice to kind of know that, a publication like that you you're on the front page is that is that a cool feeling uh, it's the best feeling <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. i mean Good. It, you know, it, it really is it's um you know it's funny i had i was i the family and i had gone to florida um my daughter oh daughter six and a half she wanted to go to disneyland we're like disney world will take her but i was pitching at the same time because i knew ian was coming in and you know, my wife and I knew that I was planning on staying. And so the New York Times asked me to stay on and we spent three days um, being toyed around with the U.S. Coast Guard because we were supposed to be doing um, embeds with them first day out for rescues. Mm -hmm. You know, everything went wrong. And so I, you know, covering, covering hurricanes is difficult. You're, you know, you're there the first 72 hours of people's losing everything. And so, um, I, you know, first day of not waiting on the U.S. Coast Guard, it was kind of floating around and waiting for images and looking for images. And, you know, I had one cover, I think it was second day in or third day in, and telling a friend of mine I really wanted two covers. Um, and I don't know what that is about me. It was just more of like, I feel like it's confirmation that I was doing good work. Um and, you know, we had the ability to embed with um, South Florida Search and Rescue. And it was 
as usual with a hurricane, it was rushed to wait. So it was three and a half hours of waiting. And then we knew we had about an hour and a half left when we finally got the embed, about an hour of light and just worked every moment of it. And yeah, it was a good story. It was, you know, I'm fortunate for the writer who had the contacts. I'm fortunate that my editor who was, you know, on her day off, like came back on to edit that project for me. And Wow. Yeah, I imagine something like that, like a like a hurricane, something that big. I mean, imagine there's thousands of images and probably hundreds of photographers on yeah. the ground. So how does it get to a point where you end up with with a photograph of yours being on the cover when there's when there's that much kind of out there that's being photographed? Because nobody had it, and that's literally it was. I mean, it was a it was a beautifully written piece. Um, it was visually, I'd say, one of the strongest news stories, maybe the strongest news story I shot this year. Right. And nobody had it. You know, Fort Myers Beach was shut off hours after mm. the storm, after daylight. And so um, the police department were not letting anybody on. People were trying to sneak on. You just could not get on. And so the only way we were we were, we were were able to get on is because we were brought on by search and rescue. And so it was, you know, it was first looks at the work that they were doing when they were doing door-to-door, -door, still looking for... Um, people that were hiding out in their homes or looking for bodies. Wow. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So you, I guess you see some things that, I mean, obviously you, you, you probably don't want to photograph. Is that the case? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I've always gone the theory is you edit that later. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not here to glorify if somebody passes on, but I, I think, the images of the work that the rescuers, if we had run into that, are very important. Mm. I think they're, you know, it's how are they handling it? What's, you know, what's going through? We did go into a woman's house. I think she was 97 years old into her condominium. must have been on the, I don't know, third or fourth floor. I mean, they went everything from checking the toilets to see when the last time they had used the bathroom because there was no running water to looking at her beds for people. So mm. you, know, you don't know what you're going to run into when you go into these places. Wow. What's the what, what's the advantage for them as the rescuers to to bring you along? Like, what what's the pitch to them? I mean, realistically, it's probably their biggest recruiting tool. Okay, right. Honestly, um, U.S. Coast Guard right. knows that too. I mean, we were surprised that we would keep getting the approval, and then hours later, we would get denied. I mean, I got the approval when I was in Orlando. I drove through the edge of the storm, rushed down to West Palm Beach. By the time I got to West Palm Beach. We went from being approved for a rescue helicopter to approved for a flyover in a P-130, 11 p.m. The flyover was canceled. By noon the next day, everything was canceled. Wow. But, and that went above them. You know, that went above U.S. Coast Guard. Um, it wasn't their call. But it's, it's, a, it's a huge, I believe it's a huge recruiting tool for them. And I think they would acknowledge it as well. We individualize training in the pool. So why not individualize your nutrition? Erica Barney of Barney Wellness Building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans. So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. Athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. Group discounts are available, so go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I-N-E, wellnessbuilding.net.
Swim Angelfish. Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. Now, I guess as a documentarian in, in instances like this, you're not just there for the aftermath. You're, you're there for the whole thing. So is there a point where, you're, where your wife and your family are like, uh, I don't know about this one. <laughs> are, they, are they worried for you? Um, this one, no, because they had me, you know, the, the track of the hurricane changed. And so mm -hmm. um, they were having me start in Orlando. We knew worst case scenario, we'd be sitting in a hotel and there'd be a lot of wind. Um, if I was in Fort Myers, yeah, there would have probably been a lot more concerned. Mm. I'd say my wife was more concerned with January 6th than she was with this hurricane. Yeah, that that's a that's a whole other story as well, I guess. And and that's you know, you and I have had some personal discussion on that one, and and I've felt from you, and I haven't dug too deep, but I felt like that one ha has affected you uh, in, yeah, in a, in no, a way. Totally has. Yeah, um, yeah. that one was hard. I mean, that one was just, I don't know. Was that, that out of the blue or were you, were you meant to be there or did you get rushed there at that point in time? No, I pitched it. I had, I had written to the New York Times and Le Mans, a French paper. Um, Times got back to me first, um, which was the benefit of me. Um, did you know something like this was possible? Like uh, what, what's going on in your head when you're pitching this? Um. I felt something was possible similar to Charlottesville a few years earlier. Oh, wow. Um, I remember calling friends in like U.S. Customs and Border Patrol and, you know, Metro Police Department and a friend in the FBI. And she's like, well, what are your spidey senses saying? And I was like, something's going to happen. Mm. Um, and that morning, a colleague and I were walking and there was a truck with Virginia plates and guys were kitted out in, you know, their army gear. Mm. And I was just taking like three pictures, just bad photos and he looked at me and he goes why'd you do that and i said because that's how charlottesville began and the first thing out of his mouth was remember today soft targets and hard targets and he's like so if something happens find a hard target what does that mean soft targets hard targets i would be a soft target a brick building would be a hard target so oh. i think that's something that they start shooting you can't get hit oh and so like we went into that day thinking that and that was nine o'clock oh. in the morning are you, do you have any protection no. on? No. No. No, I, I would say with an event like that, it was blended as much as you could outside of your cameras. And so when you're, when you're deciding to go to an event like that and you know there's, there's a lot of action going to be going on, you don't want to be bogged down with all that stuff like you said. So how do you select the, the, the items, the cameras you want on that one? Um, I only work with three lenses. Um, okay. So... Yeah, I have a small little telephoto 135 sitting in a pouch, and I have a 35 and a 50 on each body, and that's all I work with. Mm. Even when I travel, that's my travel kit. So, um, yeah, I was literally running around that, a backpack that's that thin that just fits a laptop, nothing more. What would you use the three different lenses for? Um, one's wide, one's 
as close to like our peripheral vision as possible. And one was just a telephoto, like a longer lens, which I don't even think I used it. I think it just sat in a little like side pouch the whole time. So do you have like a, what, what do they call the, the body? Just the camera body? Yeah, the camera body. So you just have one camera body and I, these are interchangeable? I have two camera bodies with a lens two. on each and that's okay. it. Okay, right. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and and do you you're not changing lenses then? So not, they're, they're not already on there. It's literally right. just swinging one just, to the other. Right. Damn. And so, um, so why did it affect you so much that day? Like, what? Why? Why was it was emotionally so hard for you? I don't think it was until. I mean, that's a, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I, I would say, I don't know. You know, maybe it was hard because I knew, like, I was expecting the response at the Capitol to be similar to the response during all the BLM protests outside the White House. Um, you know, we were, my friend Michael and I were in, like, we were on the west side of the Capitol. We were in one little tiny area. And you're so tunnel visioned when you're working, when we were working that event, like we had no idea what was going on a hundred meters to our right. We had no idea what was going on the other side of the Capitol. Mm. Um, and I don't know, it's, you know, my wife was sitting in a car pregnant, you know, on zooms with her colleagues outside of our daughter's pod school, like 40 minutes away. Like mm. it was just a weird moment. It was just one of those days where like, I kept expecting something to happen and nothing happened. Mm. And I, you know, and I traveled all over the world for 10 years and it was the only time like I've ever felt scared and I've never gone through that before either. So that was weird. And I how don't know. Deep, how, how deep in did you go? Like, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the riot is the, whatever they want to call them. They went all the way in. Did you end yeah, up going I mean, all the way? It in? was interesting. So I was in, um, and I, my editor was telling me to get out. She's like, I need you outside. And they hadn't, they hadn't gone in yet. Mm. So I left the Capitol. And as I was leaving the Capitol, they were actually coming into the Capitol. But I didn't know that at the time. Because mm. the Capitol was on lockdown. So the only way for me to get out was the outlying buildings and using um, the Capitol subway system. So, yeah. And I remember, you know, meeting up with Michael. And we were like working together and literally just working side by side, working the space. And I remember saying to him, I was like, we have to go inside. And he's like, it's too late. We missed our window. I'm like, we have to go inside. And he's like, if we go inside, we don't know if we're coming out. And, you know, at the time I was kind of, and he's like, and we have a job, like we have to file photos. And he's right. Like I had a job to a paper that I had to get pictures out. And so, and there was no Wi-Fi. There was nothing. There was no service. Everything had been shut down. And so we knew, like, to get pictures out, we had to go um, four or five blocks away. And at the time, I didn't agree with him. But now looking back at my time frames, like, I would have never gotten in in time. Even, like, where we were at when the whole thing happened, if we had tried to get in at that point, we would have probably been the last people trying to get into the Capitol. Like, we had already missed our, our window. Oh, wow. Did you feel like you got what you wanted out of that day, though? No. Really? No, so you have I, some, I, you have I, some I, regrets, I guess. I, I, you know, it's funny. I don't show that work. I don't put it on my website. I don't like really? work. Um, I think that's more me personally. 
Um, I'm I'm really happy with what I got in that small frame of them climbing the walls of the Capitol. Mm. But the amount of time it took for me to leave and file those photos and come back, I felt like I lost too much, and that frustrates me. Yeah. You know, when I read your biography, it actually says Jason Andrew explores the repercussions of poverty and political unrest throughout various societies and cultures worldwide. This this was in America. How, how does how does that make you feel as an American? I mean, it's uh, you know the last four years, the last I would say those four years of Trump's presidency were wild. Yeah. Um, I covered Charlottesville. I was covering all the BLM protests. I was doing COVID work. Um, at the same time, I was working on a fellowship that dealt with addiction and motherhood. And so I was going back and forth to Kentucky every month for a week um, through all of 2017 and most of 2018, um, working, you know, documenting and also them documenting themselves a set of young moms that were recovering from meth and heroin addictions. So yeah, it's wild. I mean, I, I always was chasing stories around the world because to me, I don't know, maybe it's what I thought I had to do, or maybe it's what I was interested in, but I've now find myself like doing those same stories here. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, just you mentioning those, uh, things that were going on during that, during that presence, it was, it was, it was wild, man. I'm, I'm glad things have kind of Calm down a little bit. Have they calmed down? I don't know. You tell I me. Think so. I think it's boiling even more. Really? Yeah. I think I think midterms are going to be, you know, in two weeks we'll know who's going to control the Senate and the House. Um, and then I think these next two years are just going to be ugly. I think politically we're really going to start seeing true colors in people and seeing where it goes from there. So you 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 pitch Charlottesville and, and BLM. You you kind of predict these things, and so what's the next prediction then? Like, what are you pitching right now? <laughs> Environmental stories. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I've you know I when I first started in journalism, I was covering the Tea Party movement, and I was on their buses as they were crisscrossing, you know, through America and I was photographing it and it was, it was kind of eye-opening to see, you know, these disgruntled, disgruntled people, disgruntled voters who just felt like the country was imploding upon itself. And 10 years later, you know, those are the people that were, you know, the people I rode with, like Amy Kramer, who was, you know, head of, you know, the Tea Party movement. 10 years later, she's the one that was hosting the January 6th rally that caused all this. And so, I don't know. I think, I think there's, I think we're, I believe that, you know, we are overlooking um, how politics is changing and mm. we want to keep looking at how things used to be, but the reality is nothing's how it used to be. And um, I think people are just getting angrier and more disgruntled and, um, yeah, I don't know. Country's fractured. It's frightening. It is. It is frightening, man. As an Australian, I've always, I've always felt uh, a sense of divide in this country, but I, I've, I've felt it more and more, obviously, in the last four or five years. And 
And now I just don't know where we're at. You know, I'm like, what, what's what's going on in America? It's very scary in terms no, of like swimming's great, man. You don't have to think about it. Yeah, that's why that's why I've dug into the swimming side. It's just like I'm just going to document swimming. You know, I've I've tried to get some big time guests, and 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 I always pitch to them. I say I just want to talk about swimming. I don't care about anything else. I don't care about this or that. Um, so that's that's my pitch. It's just let's just focus on swimming. So no, I mean I guess- and there's a lot of truth to it. I mean, even like my training swims, I you know, I had to do I had to do a six hour training swim. It was supposed mm. to be twenty thousand meters. I had to swim mm. three weeks. And I was like, All right, let's do it, just keep feeding me. Mm. And but like being out there, like, you know, those are the moments where it's like I'm just not thinking about anything. I'm just swimming. Yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. when I'm outside. And there's no lane lines and there's no flip turns and it's just me battling the elements. Like there's nothing better. Yeah. That is, that is a nice release. Uh, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I'm still wary of the sharks growing up where I grew up. Uh, every time I put my head in, in the ocean, I, I see a shark. So I don't know about that. But, um, tell me this, you know, like, look, photography's been around forever. Um, we are seeing a shift though, right? Like in, in the, we're in this TikTok era where it's short form video or whatever it is, you know, that, yeah. that's moving. So, so, I mean, how do you feel about this shift? Um, I don't know. It doesn't affect me. I don't, I. Photography is going to be around forever, right? I think, I think, <laughs> you know, when I started um, in photography, everybody said that video was going to take over and, mm. Even out of high school, they said video is going to take over. And video has never taken over. The work I do is going to be around forever. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think the amount of people are going to be working as professional photographers 10 years from now. I don't think there'll be as many. Um, I think, you know, every year the herds get thinned a little more and a little more. But I don't know. I mean, I still like to read books. I still like to throw, you know, find old records and play them. I don't know. Maybe I'm a traditionalist in that regards and maybe an old soul, but TikTok to me is just like, I don't know, 30 minute, 30 seconds of just looking at something and moving on. But the static image is going to stay with you forever. I was going to say that. I was like, what's the difference for you then for, for photograph? Cause like, I just went to, I just went to the, the Philadelphia art museum this weekend and just, and was just staring at, at paintings. Yeah. And the, and there's so much you can take from one painting. And I, and I imagine it's the same thing in photographs. So I like, I mean, I got, I got photographs behind yeah. me, but like you can just stare at an image and, and create thousands of different words and, 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 and images in your own mind based on that one little image. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, with TikTok, it's, it's with consistent hits. I, you know, I feel like most of that stuff, you know, if it's Snapchat, if it's YouTube, I mean, it's just not the photography I'm interested in. It's not the visual I'm interested in. I'm mm. interested in something that's going to leave an impression. Like I want, I want kids when they grow up to, um, you know, see work and know that it's like my work, know that it's like, I don't know, it's, there's some value to it. How do you know the difference then between the 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 winners? Like you know, when you 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 take thousands a day, right? And yeah. you're scrolling through. How do you know when an image? Like, what does it do to you? I don't know. There's just moments. I mean, it really is. Like, you know, we flew down to Baja in little Cessnas, and shooting from the airplanes is great. And 
there's some beautiful images, but there's some that are just like the light is perfect. The layering is there. There's texture, there's color as a landscape. And then these small little medical clinics that they're running down there, um, mostly dental at the time. So you're just looking for these, like, I don't know, these little moments between both like the dental patients and the dentists and the assistants and the people. And there's mm -hmm. just, there's so much going on in that one frame that, and there's so many layers that like, it's not a picture you just look at and turn. You're constantly finding little things happening over and over and over again. And mm -hmm. I know those the images that make me stop. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that's the stuff that caught my eye. I, I look through your stuff, man. It's just, it's breathtaking. And um, you got a little, you got a little bit of your stuff out on Instagram. Um, where, where can people find your work? Uh, I want to kind of put it up there for them. Um, Instagram. If I can, if I'll start using it more, I don't know. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm bad at it, man. It's one of these things where like I'll get grooves and I'll start using it and then I get just swamped with work and I just can't be bothered. Um Do you keep the papers then? Do you like when you, when you make the front page and you, oh, you oh, keep yeah, it? I've got a drawer full of them. Okay, right. Um, no, that's good then. Yeah. Yeah, like all my magazine covers, all the papers. Um yeah. I'm constantly doing prints over here for people. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I do. I love it. I I Yeah. I mean, I need to, you know, I've called my Instagram a lot. I've pulled stuff off. I started mm. adding stuff back on. Um, I would just say this year was so hyper-focused on that swim that, like, I pushed work aside, which then caused me to get even more work. I don't know how it happens, <laughs> but I did. Um, and now it's kind of this grind of, like, getting work out to clients and building a new email promo that's going to go out in a few weeks and doing a print promo that looks at some other stuff and yeah but i would say like this year it's mostly just been that it was that swim you know and yeah it just it took a lot i mean it's a lot of time what about this man what's your uh you know we we, we have olympic medals what's your olympic goal what's what's the top of the podium for you if you could if you could have that feeling in photography what would it be um mine would be I would say there's some projects I've done, either putting them in, into a book or a solo exhibit, some of the work to me, just like getting it out in people's hands and having more people see the work that I'm doing. Like a book is timeless, right? Like his book, yeah. a book can live forever. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want a book that's published, you know, four or five, 6,000 copies. I think that it kind of starts diluting the project. I'd rather mm. it be a small run and then have to reprint it again. Um, mm. Yeah. But for me, it would be that, or it'd be an exhibit. Do you have your, your goals on any of that? Is there, is there something in your sights? Yeah, no, I'm working on something right now. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I'm trying. I'm trying. It's a bad word to use. Um, <laughs> I'm, in the <laughs> I'm in the process of putting a zine together. Um, and it's a body of work that a, a young woman and I did. It was her recovery with addiction. So mm. her photos, it's her writing. Um, it's my pictures of them. It's a collaboration. And so I'm building that. And that's something I want to be more widely available, um, especially in the addiction community. So we've been working on that for some time. Um, it just kept growing and growing. And there just became a point where I had to say, okay, I think we have enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say the goal is over the next few years, it's just to really start working on um, more printed matter and getting the printed promos and printed books in like people's hands. Good stuff. 
Well, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's good to good to chat. Good to know more about this. Uh, you know, I'm tr- I'm trying to. What I'm trying to do here is, and I think you may have seen this over the past couple of weeks, is bring in people that swim but have gone on to be successful in other realms yeah. and other parts of the life. You know, I had a comedian on recently, Anders Holm, and just like, you know, just people that love swimming and it's a huge part of their life, but they've gone on and used whatever they've taken from swimming to, to be successful in, in other parts. So you're one of those guys, man. So I appreciate you sharing your story today. No, I appreciate it. Swimming is, yeah, it's... Uh... I don't know. It's become my everything now, which I couldn't run fast enough. I couldn't run away from it fast enough out of high school. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Bad coach. You don't want to swim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like you said. It's it's almost like the 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 freelance thing is is you you've taken control of that now. That's yeah. yours now. It's not owned by the coach anymore. You know, it's not determined yeah. by this person telling you, you have to do this or that. Now it's just led by you. Yeah, no, it's great. It's me putting together, you know, 10 and 15,000 meter workouts and going, all right, see you guys. And just doing it solo and hoping that friends come along and join me for it. I'm I'm not. I'll stand on the side. I'll be I'll be in the uh, I'll be in the paddle board. So. Uh all right, good stuff, man. Appreciate catching up. Thanks. All right, thanks, Brett. Appreciate see it. You, Jason. Bye. Bye.